Hey guys, I want to start off by thanking you for keeping me on the air since 2004. I'm trying to keep everything fresh and keep bringing you content that is both enjoyable and informational. So if you could help me out by hitting me up on Instagram or Facebook and giving me some suggestions for guests, topics, and questions, I'd really appreciate it. Also, I know I, you, I've, you've heard me say this. But please, 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 please take a few moments to give me a review on iTunes. It's so important to keeping me on the air. So if you want this podcast to stick around, please get on there and drop me a line. Lastly, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Been the title sponsor of the show for a long time. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything they offer. All right. Let's get into this next episode. What are you doing, bud? Hey, how's it going? Good. How about you? Oh, you know, uh, busy, 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 busy. You sound like it. <clears throat> Your schedule seems to be as random as mine. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, like today, I'm trying to get out of town this weekend with my family. And uh, the plan is to get every, you know, pick up the kids from school and go. Um, Man, I'm just stuffing everything. <laughs> everything I possibly can in this next few hours here. So, yeah. How you been? Doing good, just same deal. Yeah. Hold on. Let me catch on speakerphone. So, um, you are we just doing phone or are we zooming? What are we yeah, doing? just by phone. Okay. It's more reliable. You <laughs> say... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, every time I do Zoom, not every time, but when I do Zoom, every once in a while, um, you'll get like glitches or like buffering or something will happen. And you don't know it's happening because it doesn't happen in real time. Like, you don't see it on the screen and you sound, yep. you know, you hear them perfectly and whatever. And then all of a sudden you go to your recording and then you got these, you know, abnormalities or whatever and you're like shit this sucks how the fuck i can't even edit this out <laughs> so but on the phone if something's happening like you know you get bad service or the, you can't hear the guy or whatever you know right away and you just okay hey just restate what you just said and then you can just cut it out and move on with your life but so let me let me do some reconnecting here I'll go to my earbuds. Give me a second here, John. Sure. All right. Can you hear me out, John? Yep. Does that work? Okay. Yeah, that sounds fine. It always helps if I got to do any calling or anything. I got my hands free. There you go. What's your day job, John? Fill me in on you a little bit. Um. Yeah, I. Uh, my day job <laughs> depends on the day. No. Um, I get that. No, I. I. Um, I own a pool company, a swimming pool company, and uh, I build and remodel and service mostly commercial pools. Okay. Like HOAs and hotels and apartment yeah. complexes, stuff like that. And then, um, you know, vice president of Alpha Wildlife. I have an outfitting company and then, you know, the podcast and <laughs> writing and I used to have a TV show and all this other stuff. So, yeah, 
I'm starting to like, as I'm getting older, sort of trimming things down. At least I think I am. And then I feel like I, you know, I'll take away two things and add one thing type thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. It's the same deal. It's, you know, we've got too many things going now. We're trying to, we're trying to simplify native, but in doing that, it just opens up more stuff to try to sort through and figure out, you know, what it's going to look like long term and but it's by the time i do fire department do this i still got a couple other deals that, I, that i'm running on the side so it, it's you know to try to do that and stay home and stay within your family that's that's the biggest challenge that i see yeah for sure it's tough it's a juggle you know it's it's always a yeah. it's a, always a juggling act but i don't know i found i feel like the most successful people are always kind of that way you know, very, yeah. very few people have that, um, you know, really simplified life thing going on and, and, and prospering, <laughs> you know, there, there are, there yeah, are, I, I agree on that. Well, I mean, it's, or it takes a lot of time, I think, to mature it to where it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I look at dad though. I mean, before he started the game calls, he's, he was pest control. He owned a pest control company and a couple other side deals and, one fed the other, then it didn't take long to where, you know, he was out on, you know, the game calls and solely focused, but it, it took a while for sure. And, and even me, it's natives at a growth point this year, year seven, and we've been really slow to grow. Um, most of that's, well, actually not most, all of it's my fault, mm. but the, uh, it's, you know, now we're kind of maturing pretty quickly to where, you know, I think the next year or two is going to look a little bit different. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Maybe, maybe getting it, getting it in, I don't know. I'm sure you've tried or, or have, but I, maybe I didn't notice it, but getting it into the hands of a couple of people that are very influential in the, in the elk, elk space. space. Or, yeah. Yeah. No. And I see that completely, but you know, game calls are hard in the aspect of, you know, you can give out a ton of calls, but, but usually there's only one or two guys that are very proficient and can really maximize and, look at something and analyze it and say, Hey, this is better than that. Or I, I mean, it's, it's always been niche in that way. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's you know, just, it's finding those, those right. Yeah. Those right guys, you know? Yeah. And, and that honestly is pretty difficult. And I, I take for granted, you know, I just figure everybody's fairly proficient, but, but, that, but that's far from the truth. You know, even guides, like we had a guy stop by last week. That was a big guide out of New Mexico. And, you know, we were just going to, going over stuff as far as what your guides need, what they like. And he's like, Hey, you know, like 90% of my guys can't call that well. And I'm like, yeah, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, that's a regular statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's pretty accurate of the hunting population as in general. Um, yeah. You know, most, most people get, get by and they've, and I, I've preached it too. You know, you don't have to be a great caller to be, a great elk hunter um because i completely I, agree I, I, know, I know that with my own success you know like i don't consider myself a, a great caller in any way shape or form like i am i am not winning any competitions you know i'm definitely yeah. not, not built for stage work but you know so it's more it's more about learning the language and what to say and when to say it than you know making beautiful sounds yeah so, Agreed. So yeah, I mean that's a double-edged sword. Kind of works against you as a call maker, but 
No, it isn't. It isn't. You know, I, I think the biggest thing that I try to get guys is to be proficient enough to be able to do something underneath pressure and duress. You know what I mean? Like, like when you really need to make a good sound or something at least passable, you know, can you do it underneath pressure? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that, that's the, but I'm like you, you know, everybody's asked on the, the learning aspect. And, you know, my first statement is, you know, listen to help. Find, find something for resource for cadence and what's natural sounding and feeling. And yeah. Well, start I mean, there. you got YouTube, you know, like there's how many friggin' videos of elk in the natural woods. Do right. Anything. Like, like there's so much to reference. Yeah. yeah. Tons. Like we didn't have that shit, <laughs> you know, when we were trying to figure this stuff out years ago. No, we well, to, You're lucky we you had your dad. To, <laughs> well, I've had dad and, and well, that's, that's part of the deal too. It's the, you know, to be able to go to those resources and, and be in front of, you know, I can remember when we were doing deer calls and designing those, we would go to deer reserves like in Alabama mm-hmm. and with parabolic mics strapped to our head and, you know, just audibly to pick that up. I mean, that was, that's what it took back in the day <laughs> to, to hear that, learn that now, like say the social media aspect has completely changed the influence. Oh yeah. Yeah. The learning curve is freaking crazy now especially like you know even like these like podcasts like this is that's what this is it's a learning platform you know it is i'm still amazed at how many guys aren't listening though yeah like there's a lot of information out there and and the the random questions even from podcasts i've done where guys are like hey what about and i'm like man we covered this like so in depth like this is you know the, the answers have really been hashed out there yeah yeah, speaking of the podcast, let me officially get this rolling off here. Um, yeah, so I'm talking with uh, Mark Carlton, and that's Wayne Carlton's son. Carlton was originally Carlton Calls, and now it's Native by Carlton, right? Correct, correct. Um, HS bought out the Wayne Carlton Calls business probably around, um, I think we ended up closing that like 2002. Um, they still have that banner it's over at GSM Outdoors. But they, uh, they're still going on, still carrying some of the stuff that we, we did for years. But Native's the new, refresher version, I guess, and family-owned again back in Colorado. Yeah, that's huge. I remember meeting your dad many, many years ago. Um, and I had him on the show, too, years ago, too. But, okay. Um, he's the one that taught me about calling bears. Yeah. Yeah, I, I met him, and uh, he was going to do a seminar at Bass Pro Shops when it first opened up here in Arizona. And uh, yeah, I still, no, I still use I still use those tactics now. That, that bear calling video—it's funny. We we did that. That is still, even though Wayne Carlton was, you know, he's always been kind of in that conversation as as the original elk guy and, and building the industry in, in a lot of ways. That bear video is still our number one best-selling video we ever made. <laughs> out of all of out of all the elk, out of everything else we did, and uh, the bear video is still guy. Guys are still intrigued by that idea. Yeah, no, it's there's a, the thing, There's still not a lot of guys doing that either. No, no, no. It's it's not a, it's not a lot. Um, but the thing that stuck with me the most, and I the fir- very first time I applied it, um, it it worked for me. Was he's like. John, you gotta walk through the woods and just keep just keep walking until you come across fresh bear sign. When you come across fresh bear sign, then make your setup and then call 
call constantly. Do not stop calling for half an hour. And I'm like, yeah. okay. And I did that. And, you know, I shot my first bear using a call then. So easier said than done, though, man. Like, I know, I know. like after five minutes of running that open rig, you can't feel your face anymore. Well, l- lucky for me, I don't have to. I live in Arizona. I can use a Fox Pro. But... <laughs> yeah, true. But, but, you know, especially those early days, man, it was all open rig stuff and just give her hell. That's been the only thing about the Bears, man. If, if you don't stay on it, they, they walk up and turn around. Yep. Yeah. And I had another guy, a guide friend of mine out here, tell me that. He's like, as soon as you shut that call off, they're gonna, they're gonna turn around and they say like bears are like, they take the reason why you got call for a half an hour is because they're like, they walk a hundred yards and oh there's some berries right there I'm gonna eat some. Yeah. Berries. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like you know they get the 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 squirrel oh squirrel, you know um, <laughs> thing going on there but anyways so um. Just real quick, give us a little rundown about what you guys got going on with the uh, with the company, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some some elk calling tactics. And sure, no um, business wise, I guess our, our reboot time was about 2015. Um, I really wanted to take a few years there, get some stuff going back into the marketplace, and really see what the response was. And and you know, everybody kind of asks where we've been, what we've been doing, to be honest with you, man, we've just been kind of like trying to catch up to what the industry is. And it's taken mm-hmm. us se- seven years. I mean, I mean, it. I mean, after Hunter specialty bought us out, any time a business goes corporate, you lose kind of design innovation. There's a whole different strategy of what they make and how they make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's been some guys, you know, ap- after we got bought out to capitalize on that time, you know, Phelps really, I remember when Phelps was start. I mean, Jason was just starting to come onto the scene about the time we sold. Um, Rocky was always there, but those guys really capitalized and really developed their lines over the years. So we, I mean, I honestly felt like we just had some catch up time to do. So we, we put some stuff on the ground in the marketplace, got a feel for that, really listened to the feedback. Um, we had a lot of new stuff that we were trying and this year got super aggressive as far as listening to what people wanted and trying to build it, you know, the out the best way that we could. So that was kind of what we did. <clears throat> I think one of the smarter things we've done is we we had a large request because we had that original frame, which was a wider frame with a notch in the top that kind of helped stabilize airflow. But about half the guys that used it, and I think John, you were you were one of them mm-hmm. that you know you were having fit issues with them. So that that fit conversation was kind of as as a few years went on, really became a priority. So we ended up doing a, a full dome over, which were on our our B three. Um, but what we're doing with that is we built it in three sizes, which I think makes us really unique right now. Yeah. Um, so we, we built it in a small frame and a medium frame and a standard frame that we call our large, but, but large being like, when we've got 6 million turkey hunters, it's almost identical size to what those turkey frames are. Mm-hmm. But, but to, to be able to build that stuff out and fit everybody and at least get those guys started, um, you know, that's been a big piece of it. And I think we've had, we're kind of out of that. We were really heavy into the patent era, like late nineties, early two thousands. And the last 10 years, uh, you know, I think if people kind of step back and look at it, there's been a lot of innovation that has come along, but a lot of that's because the patents have been off. So guys have been way more aggressive about figuring stuff out. And, and I think we've got more good product for hunters out there now from everybody than we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just been trying to listen to guys and and trying to try to make all that work. And we're still, 
like I we still got new stuff on on the table we haven't you know put out there yet that we're still trying to fill in the void there for everybody that's out there because it's I, I think diaphragm technology on, on mouth reads has really come along strong and you know I think they've come leaps and bounds over what the traditional turkey call builds are yeah yeah and I I, I remember you what was it was it last year yeah it was last year you sent me like yeah from the prototypes three of each size and different stretches and this is and that and you know that's i mean that's awesome that you're you guys are kind of putting that that kind of work into finding out what what people you know like and what makes a good sound and call for them um, well it is and, and most of it's what guys get used to and even this year like that original rip frame we did i was at i was seriously considering just wiping it off the table and saying you know version one's over version two's coming and then guys have gotten so used to that frame like we've sold more online this year than than we ever have and it's it's just interesting and, and guys really do adapt to whatever they're used to running is kind of where they try to stay and as soon as you give them a, a, a different animal and, and then turkey reeds are basically I, i'm starting to term it john like like a tension built reed versus like a dome because they are completely di different animals and like on a scale of, of one to a hundred on stretch, so stretch, you know, we'll stick that off on the call press and, and stretch the tension side to side. The traditional turkey calls, you would almost stretch at a hundred versus the domes, you stretch almost like at 30. Okay. So there's a gigantic difference in, in tensions and how we do that. The guys that are used to those really heavy set tension reads on the turkey world, man, they come out and grab what you and I would, prefers an elk read and, and they just fall on their face with it because they're so used to a double and a triple read and combo. I mean, the, the turkey world is just, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's just so much there. So we're, we're trying to accommodate everybody and, and we're almost like, I, and I can see it even on our orders this year, guys out West order the domes yeah. <laughs> and, and tur turkey guys end up in the older style stuff. Yeah. I, I just, and I'm still not great at it. I'm not a great turkey caller. I, I said I'm not a great elk caller. I'm definitely not a great turkey caller. But um, I just kind of learned how to manipulate one that didn't have a dome. I always ran the single, a single yep. read, uh, hyper dome style turkey call also. Yep. And, yep. you know, that's where I, I made, you know, whatever, a few sounds I know how to make. But, and, but even that, it's... Yeah. It's funny because we started to build on some of those domes for a turkey platform, and I can run the bejesus out of it. Guys that are used to them run them really well. They prefer them. But if I give them to a, a very proficient, really good collar back east, they hate them. Mm -hmm. You know, but like I said, I think it's still coming down to that's just what we're used to. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You can figure out anything and make it work for you eventually. Um, I think so. Yep. Yeah. I think it's just time. Yeah, so, um, well, let's get into a little bit of elk calling here. We're, it is September 1st. I'm going to try to roll this out immediately, get it out here before guys really, before start, guys really start getting. I know there's some elk seasons already started. Um, what, you know, obviously it's not the time to learn really something very new at this point. What are some of the things that you would tell 
guys getting ready to go out elk hunting, you know, some tips or tactics that they can easily incorporate into their, um, you know, elk hunting toolbox. Sure. I think it's one of those things. And of course, you know, I'm in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. This is the state where everybody comes. And so I, I think, I think you have to look at it and split it down just a little bit in your head as far as what, where am I hunting and how much pressure is there? Cause I think that changes the conversation quite a bit. Like I still hunt super deep remote parts of Colorado as, as remote as, as you can get anyways. And the experience for me is very different because I want to hunt elk that really behave like elk versus if you're over in unit 62, just, just outside Montrose here, you know, it's the busiest unit in the state and there are people everywhere. You'll count 50 trucks between campers and recreational guys and hunters, you know, w within an hour drive. And, you know, so I think the tactics change a lot in that, mm -hmm. but I still, you know, <clears throat> we were talking just a minute ago before we push record on the, I try to listen to elk as much as I can. So I like, I like I'm constantly saving stuff from like I video wildlife and I'm saving stuff from J Scott outdoors. And cause those guys are just posting so much audio on elk bugling and cows calling and mm -hmm. trying to keep things organic and smooth and not repetitive. Like it, usually when I pick out a hunter in the woods, it's because of the predictability of their calling pattern. Right. So they, they just, it's the same. It's almost like a Puchivama or a squeeze me. It's the same thing over and over and over again in time, in step. And it just doesn't have a very organic feel. And I think guys, when they're calling, they need to keep that in mind of, of what's natural and what's organic. You know, they, you know, we're, we're really redundant as people on how we hear stuff and see stuff. And even as we're practicing, you know, we, I know I develop my own voice as I call, whether it's using a cow call or bugling, like, you know, and, and even you listen to guys like, like, you know, you listen to Corey Jacobson, you know, it's at the competition style at this point, you know, Corey has a signature bugle that, that is very identifiable, but that's Corey's bugle. And my dad had one, I've got one. So it's just understanding that, you know, keep it organic and, and keep it, keep it moving, you know, just, just, just don't stay there and stay put and, and just pump it out one time after another, after another, it's just too predictable. Yep. I, I agree with that. And I saw that a lot firsthand and I, and it's funny you bring up the hoochie mama, but that is something I noticed that because it was so consistent. Yep. And and, and and from call to call, it was so consistent too. Like you know, you could go buy one and buy another one, and they sound exactly the same. So manufacturing wise, there were, you know, there wasn't very much variation in the, I guess probably the stretch of the internal diaphragm yeah. or whatever that makes the noise. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that elk started responding to it negatively because they associated that particular call. Yep. With humans. And I think, too, like, everybody has their own voice. Mm -hmm. So if, if it sounds like when you're in the woods and you've been hunting, like for me, like sometimes I'll, I'll hunt the same group of elk for a handful of days. And with, within a day, you, you kind of, if you have a visual on a bull, I mean, you know what they look like and sound like. And you know what's, so I mean, we're not any different. And I think elk hear that and they immediately place that as good or bad. Right. Yep. I agree. But, 
Um, I think the other thing too, I think uh, one mistake guys make a lot is, you know, we, I kind of look at how you apply pressure with calls because it's, even though, even though you're calling and you're in the woods, you, anytime you make sound and put stuff out there, you are putting indirectly, you're doing it, but you're putting pressure on elk. And from a thousand yards, you may get the world to bugle back to you and answer you, but then at 500 yards, it all shuts down mm-hmm. and guys need to be, you know, proximity to getting something to bugle and then moving in on them is kind of a thing. So, you know, usually if I get something to bugle and I think they're a thousand or 1500 yards, I'll try to close that gap to a 200 yards before I, I start calling again. And that doesn't always work. I spend a lot of time in my binoculars. Um, but I, I want to be in underneath that 200 yard bubble. Mm-hmm. And, and then I primarily, I, I really rely on my really light cow and calf sounds almost more on the calf side of things just because there's no pressure there from the calf like calves get away with murder on the mountain man they're smashing crashing they're running around i i don't think the general elk i don't think the bulls of those mature cows even pay attention i think they're just they're the chaotic toddlers of the bunch that nobody pays attention to but it's still an elk sound and you can still get a bull to bugle with it without putting pressure on them i don't think man we we drive off I think rarely anyways, like I will say this, anything that's in my head or any rule I have, every rule's made to be broken because mm-hmm. sure enough, I'll say something and the opposite's going to happen. <laughs> but, right. but the, uh, I, I, I don't think bulls leave you sounding like a cow or bugling like another bull. I think lead cows pack up the bandwagon and they leave that bull and they follow them out. I think nine times out of 10, we drive cows off and the bulls follow. So by, by using calf cows, it's, it's way less pushy and way less pressure for them. And I usually try to start there in those scenarios when, whenever I get my distance closed to, 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 you know, start working that bull around. I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. I definitely think it's the cows that, uh, dictate, you know, most of that. I mean, I, I would imagine every once in a while it, it goes the other way, but if you look, if, if you look at any anything else, uh, any observation of any other animal, even human beings, it's pretty typical of that scenario too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. So, um, and, and I think too, I think there's an age factor there too. Like, I think a two-year-old bull is way more timid and way more to slip and slide and not be. I mean, they'll always kind of hang around, but never come in to you on top of you. And, and I think that's just that age factor. And I think calling bulls in from a, a three-year-old and under is very different than calling one that's four and five years old. Um, you know, usually that, that herd bulls on that four to five range. And, you know, I, I think there's just some dynamics there a guy's got to think about. So I think if a guy's just trying to punch his tag and fill it, you know, chances are he's going to get a, a two or three-year-old bull to respond. And that's what he's hunting. You know, and on that, you know, calves, you know, calf calls and using your cow call on top of that. I mean, it's, my strategy will change. I may bugle some, but it'll be way lighter, way, way less pushy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it seems like those younger bulls too, like, like you'll be mo- moving through the woods. You can't call, call them in. You've been messing with them for two hours and then you're like, all right, I'm done, man. And then you pack up and you're leaving to go to the next drainage and, and that bull stays with you. Right. He stays a hundred yards behind you the whole time. And, you know, but it's being smart about that stuff, using those tactics. So like if he's, you know, he's just trailing you and doesn't want to come in, then, then, you know, leave whoever's on the trigger in between you and and you walk back the other direction, you know, 
Um, it's, it's just little stuff like that that I think help guys out. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a, that's important to, to have a grasp of that, of that. What it, it goes back to even like what, like what and when to say it's, it's always about reading about what's going on out there because yeah, you can learn how to say anything and be the best sounding, you know, vocalist out there, uh, best sounding bull out there. And if you're not applying, applying it at the right times, you, you're, it's not going to translate into success. Yeah. Yep. And I, I try to pay attention to the energy in the woods too. You know, is there a lot going on on its own or, and, and I mean, it's like, but when it's dead quiet and there's not a squirrel, there's not a bird, you know, it just has a different feel to it. So I, I try to pay attention to that. And, and when I'm in those quiet days, I, I don't just blow the doors off right out of the gate. You know, I try to ease into it slow. If I know I'm in an area where there should be elk and there's always elk there, you know, it's something I'm familiar with and then I've had success there. I, I'll sit, man, for, dude, I'll sit for 45 minutes. Just wait you know, for something I'll, else to, to yeah, pipe off first. I'll, I'll, I'll call for 15 minutes or, you know, I'll go through like an entry level, like, by usual set up and call, try to get something to answer scenario. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I'll sit for 15 minutes. I'll give him some time. You got a call. On usually you? you want, yeah, you want, you want to give us what your, uh, your intro call is. So I usually, I usually lead off and I get this question out. Everybody's like, Hey man, what's, what's your favorite elk call you like to use? And my honest answer is the one that works. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not, <laughs> there's some guys that are, you know, I always thought the turkey guys are very much this way. It's like, you know, a lot of those guys are not friction fans. It's like a box call is the last thing they reach for versus that what that's the first thing we reach for. But I use whatever works. So we've called in more elk with high pitch, whiny open recalls than probably anything. Yeah. So my, my, my opening sequence, usually when I'm trying to locate something, is starts like this. And I'll hit that and I'll sit on that for three or four minutes. I, and I'll hang out and you kind of hear me extend those notes. I, I do that with purpose because usually just a really basic fast cow call doesn't hang out there audibly very long. So I'll extend some of those notes a little bit and let them hang out. So they just get out there mm-hmm. and they can be heard some, you know, it's not, I'm not necessarily overly subtle with it, but I extend those notes and then I, I cut it off right there and I just sit and I wait. Um, I break up all, all of my calls, whether I'm bugling, like the bugle and I chuckle, uh, there's a good pause right in between it. The reason being is, is I don't want something to answer right away and I'm still chuckling and making myself sound awesome and I miss it. So oh, okay. I try to break, I, I break that up, right? So, so if I bugle, it, it usually goes like this. Jesus. And I'll just wait. <laughs> Blew my ear. And I'll just, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> sorry. And I'll just let that hang. And then after I let that hang for a little bit, I'll just, I'll just follow up with like three simple chuckles. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I, I won't go five, six, seven. Like I'm in a competition. Mm-hmm. The way I usually like to call, I want to break that up. So I don't cover up a response. Gotcha. If that makes sense. 
So, and, and, but you know, that's, that's my general one, man. I'll, I'll, I'll hit something real high pitch and whiny. I like the high pitch. It seems to punch through the air a little bit more and travel further. Like even when you're walking in the woods, you know, it's, you hear the high shrill part of the elk bugle first, right? You, you don't hear all the detail stuff. So that, that's kind of the way that I approach that too. And even, you know, I was laughing at, at like dad, you know, his whole, the whole thing that hooked him on that crossover that, that planted that original seed was he was a Turkey guy from Florida. He was walking through the woods and he hears a high shrill whistle. His first instinct because of what he knew was he thought it was a key key run of a Turkey. <laughs> it was that same it was that same note, right? Mm-hmm. So, so as the years went on, he was like, well, "Wait a minute! If if I mistake, you know, if, if I was wrong and mistaken in that being, he said, I thought it was a kiki run. It was an elk bugling, and then he tied in the well, maybe I can bugle on an elk reed thing. So it's but the same deal, man. That that's the first note that he heard and carried. So I'm very conscious when I when I do those, I want them high and shrill, and I let them punch out there. Yeah. I like the high pitch one. I I'm agree with you on that too. I think it's especially for like locating type bugles. Yeah. Yep. Um, they tend to they tend to carry, and so one thing that was brought up to me some years ago, and I started incorporating that was uh, from uh, Shannon Mobs. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a pretty prolific uh, Roosevelt elk hunter. Okay. And he always does like a, a bark first before he begins his bugles. Yep. And it's like, it's like he's, he, the way he described it to me is like, I send that out there and now the elk are paying attention where if I just bugled, it may not have, they may not have heard that, you know, or paid attention yep. to it. Yeah. And I started doing, and and I feel like I get, better responses when I do that. Yeah. Like, or, or not better. For I mean, sure. More responses. Or sorry, like I, like there's more of a chance of getting a response. Yep. So, and I don't, I mean, guys really get worried about alarm sounds, whether it's Turkey or elk or, and, and I really don't, man. Like, like when you sit down and you listen to elk and, and we're fortunate here in monsters, we've actually got a pretty good, we got a couple pretty large elk ranches and man, you can go sit there at the fence line and just listen and the stuff that come out of elk, like we're very used to what cow calls sound like in our own head and what bugles sound like in our own head. And we're, we're teaching that and reproducing that. But man, you sit down and listen to elk. It's oh, yeah. chaos. Yeah. They're all over I mean, the place. They're all over it, the place. It is, I mean, I'm chasing elk last year that sound like, you know, Brahma bulls bugling, you know, they're yeah. not, <laughs> there's not, there's not a high shrilly note to them. So, you know, it's the same deal, man. Elk have their own deals. I don't get, I don't get too caught up in, traditional stuff um you know i, I find good luck of running cow calls that are high pitch and lengthy um same same deal bugle but i think it's just more because they cut through the air and breach out there right right yeah no it's crazy how we've developed this it's maybe because because of the the people out there teaching it but for sure like you get this idea that it you know, the bugle is this three note thing and yep. the, the cow call there's a chirp and then there's a mew and then, the, but there's shit, man. Cows, especially. Yeah. You, you hear all these crazy, like, it's like, is that a cat yeah. over there? What is What the frick is going on? And, um, it's amazing 
to me how effective when you're using those it, you, you could be in the woods because people are like or not people but the animals are they key into that like oh that that's that sounds like you know Josie, Josie from the other from the other ridge yeah. you know <laughs> Well, and I, actually, I think it totally goes back to that organic deal. You know, it's even, even in the summer times, I laugh, we just, I, we were stuck in Wyoming on a wildland assignment not long ago up in the bighorns and, you know, there's elk herds everywhere in, in the mornings as we're getting going for the day. And, and we, I just sit there and listen to them. And there was more stuff that just came out of just general conversation with them that, you know, I've got, I've got guys with me and I'm, you know, supposedly supposed to be the elk guy. And they're like, man, this is just blowing my mind. Like I've never, like this is like July. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm hearing bugling everywhere, you know. And it's like I said. I, I think we get an idea stuck in our head, and we get a little too married to it. You know, like I said. I, I again, every rule's made to be broken in, in some fashion. Yeah, yeah. The the fact that they only bugle in September is bullshit. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I've I've had personally a couple of archery late archery deer tag or excuse me late archery elk tags here in arizona and they take place in mid-november and i've had elk bugle then i've had yeah. i've had elk even chasing cows at that point still you know um i i think i put out was it last year or the year before i put out some videos i don't remember if i think it was probably on just like instagram or something like that but where I, I climbed up the mountain and, and one morning and I was cow calling and bugling and I was getting bugles back. Yeah. You know, and well, it's, uh, I've seen it and that was, you know, that was 4th of July weekend. It was. Well, and I, you know, I, I'm always amazed like doing install promotions and just talking to people in general. The, uh, we get so many out of state guys out here with, with those thought processes and, I think we forget. I think a lot of guys forget, like, like it come out like, well, ruts over archery's done with and not really like <laughs> usually about the time archery's over, rut is like full blast. Right. And, yep. you know, I think guys, guys need to remember, man, elk or deer, <laughs> they are still there. <laughs> and, and there's going to be a lot of crossover and, you know, white all come in and out of rut, man. It, it's a, it's a cycle deal and it just doesn't end one day. Like it's just an ongoing deal and, and it's the elk are the same gig. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you, if I limited you to having one specific call, one specific sound specifically, a specific sound, whatever that might be. Yep. What, what sound would that be? Which sound would you choose? It'd be that, it'd be that open read cow call. It would just be that very general. It would it would be that single thing right there. Has a little oscillation to it. Has kind of an organic feel. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it goes back to, I, we've called in more elk with, with whiny open read calls than anything else. I love running mouth reads, man, and they're super versatile. Mm-hmm. But I, I just had more response on those open reads, and, and it's always been that way, right? right? Forever, like since I was fourteen, it's been that way. There, there is a little. There, I only use one. There's only one, uh, and I don't think it's really an open read. It's, a, it's actually a bite and blow, a yeah. bite and blow call, and um, you know, 
it's called a cowgirl. It's from Primos. Yep. And it's been around forever. And whatever it is about that stupid little call. They like it. Yeah. Yep. That's really, it's really good. <laughs> well, it's, and, and, it's, I think it's really calf sounding too. That's how I think it is. And I don't think. Yeah. But I encourage guys to like, I, I'm never going to be the guy here and until you just buy one thing. I, I think you need two, two good open reads that sound vastly different. Mm-hmm. I don't care where you buy them from. Um, diaphragms. It's hard to be very like super diverse on sounds on diaphragms. So I try to break up like there's bulls, man, that all they do is chuckle. Mm-hmm. And there's some that's all they do is a whiny two pitch bugle. So I try to keep that in mind and use, and I, I try to find a place for that. So, you know, like if I'm working a bull into something different or I, I mean, change it up, I have enough tools out there, enough fish lures, so to speak, to, th- to throw out there to, to see what they bite on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like HS makes that Mac Daddy push button call that from a realistic standpoint isn't great, mm-hmm. but it's high pitch and whiny. And, and I'm amazed at how well that thing works for elk even, you know, it's not a quality call. You'll, you'll never, you're never going to convince me or fool me in the woods personally, but quite often I'll be bugling and a buddy will have that. That can't, you know, usually my buddies can't call, you know, they'll pull that thing out and something will answer that damn thing. So it's, and I said, have enough pieces and, and enough things in your bag that you can change it up a little bit. Yeah. And I, I know, like, with the with the open read, having even, like, you guys make what the Burlwood calls to, right? So, yeah, we build, I mean, Acrylics, we, we kind of all that stuff has yeah. different sounding tones. It's really easy to, yeah, I think, to, to buy. Yeah a couple of different ones that are very vastly different. And yep. the reason why I bring that up is cause like you can even use a different diaphragm, different stretch, different, whatever latex. And it doesn't really, doesn't necessarily sound that much different. Um, I, I'm trying to see if trying to figure out how to put this in words. So like, it doesn't sound different to us, but it does to them. It does. Okay. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It does. Uh, so so then it like see I've always run two sometimes three, um, what do you call it? Um, different diaphragms. I keep. Yep. <clears throat> I keep a mini. Uh, I, I keep in mini and I do a lot of my calf stuff with that mini single, sure. single, uh, single read or yep. excuse me, single, um, yeah, single diaphragm. And then yep. I'll, I'll run one for bugling and then one for my cows and I, yep. you know, and I can make all those sounds on each one of them. So it gives me versatility, but you know, when I'm trying to be a bull, I, I use the one that's a little deeper and, and raspier. And then a cow, I try to find that that one that's one is easy to blow where I can make soft cow sounds and like mm-hmm. I don't have to use a lot of pressure or a lot of air, rather. Um, and then my calf one, though I find that those really mini, like mini hyperdome things are they're yep. just inherently higher pitched, so they make a better 
calf sound. Agree. To me. Yep. So, yeah. Um, the, and I do the same thing. I run, you know, I, I primarily, like I'll be running these new V3s a lot, which is a full dome, but we've run like some hybrid reads where we can stack latexes and have some different cuts and they're a lot raspier call, but that's kind of what I like about it is it gives me a one, two punch and, and lets me change, change that vocalization quite a bit. Um, cause you know, you, you are kind of limited on the domes, like what they do, they do super well, mm-hmm. but those things do not build double reefs to save your life. It is not a thing. <laughs> so, so you, you've got to, you know, to, to be able to build something that has a little bit more rasp to it built into the call. You've, you've got to have something that that'll support a double read or triple read or something like that. Um, so I'm always changing that up, but I at least have those things in my bag. And, you know, it's the same deal. It's like, you know, if you buy one cow call from one guy, you know, buy, buy one of Phelps, you know, cause his has a particular sound and, and buy one of the next guys and, Find, find what works and sounds different for you. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, now we're talking about specifically about calls and somewhat of the the, 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 eh, the design of calls. Oh my God, my brain is yep. just like, I can't. My hey, mouth is going faster than my brain. Um, I haven't slept for two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Being a fireman, you're probably up. <laughs> I just got up duty. Um. <laughs> Why did you go with the acrylic mouthpiece on your on your uh, your grunt or your bugle tube? It just oh uh, well, honestly, because because the injection mold was going to be forty thousand um, dollars. Mm, okay. The, well, I mean, partially. I mean, that's definitely part part of the deal. But at least with the acrylics, it gives us some some form and form and function as far as we can play with. So the mouthpiece changes the pressure in a tube greatly. Right. Like if, like if you don't if you don't get everything in the best alignment possible, I think when you're using a tube, like like a mouthpiece and the right tube makes a big difference on how successful you are running a read. Um, I, I, I think you've definitely got to have a good tube to, to manage the right read. But the uh, the acrylics gave us that ability to kind of be a little bit more versatile and a little more footloose. So like right now we build that and it's like a trumpet style mouthpiece. And it's got a three-quarter inch bore through the middle. But as soon as you start changing that bore, it's like a five-eighths or half inch. It starts changing the, the back pressure even more. Mm-hmm. I think I can get really carried away with that. Like, like I've necked one up down all the way to three-eighths of an inch, and I can hit like 12 pitches on a reed. I don't need to hit 12 pitches on a reed. So, so the three-quarter covers, I think, 90% of the guys. But that gave us some ability to change that. And, and I think the acrylic holds that vibration a lot better. Okay. than just an ABS plastic. Cause even that, and that's, you know, the reason I was asking earlier on zoom, it's, I've got a couple different examples here of tubes from the smallest thing. Okay. Well, yeah, we had a little technical difficulty right there. I don't know where we lost you, but we, I, we couldn't hear you. You were, you were talking about the different, uh, uh I think the last thing I heard you say, uh, size. well was about the size of the acrylic and then, um, and how it held the vibration better, but after that we kind of yeah. we kind of lost you. Yeah, I don't. Um, we'll see, but well, I don't know if we just pick back up. You know, so the mouthpiece is like I said, it's the bore through the middle that changes the back pressure in your mouth and the tube. So, like I said, if we do it out of acrylic, we're way more flexible on a CNC machine mm-hmm. versus you know if we had done the injection mold of it and spent the money, then we're just limited to that. So at least now we can continue to to play with it and try to build something better, but it definitely has, it's been the best, 
one of the better parts of that tube that we did. Um, I, I was surprised there was a couple things that came out in that. Change of the density of the plastic made a really big difference in the tone of the tube and then the, the mouthpiece as yeah, I was almost thinking like since you have that ability and you're already, you know, turning these acrylic uh, pieces, m maybe you even can offer, this is, this is my, uh, my, my business advice to you, offer uh, a couple different, you know, bore sizes or something yep. where some guys would prefer or they could, you know, get them both and then try out, try them out or whatever and yep. see which one they prefer. Um, and, and that's kind of been, been in the plan because I do think that's a big piece of the puzzle um, that, you know, guys like me, like I'm five, seven and 155 pounds. Like I'm, I'm going to fit it way differently than say big Al Morris or a Fox Pro, you know, Al's, yeah. Al's a giant, you know, um, and he runs, I, I know Al well, that's the reason I use him as an example. He, he likes that old school fashioned tube, but he can get all of his mouth in it and, and it fits him. So I think, I, and I've been toying with that. I am like, man, I, I know we've got this standard mouthpiece and it'll probably be the main one, so even on the diaphragms, like that medium frame V3 is going to, it's easily been the most popular one, mm -hmm. but at least now that we can, we can play with sizing for people to where they have those options. Yeah. You know, is another thing too. Now that we're, now that I'm offering my advice, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've had a lot of people tell me that they're, you know, cause they're allergic to latex. Yep. Uh, have you looked into making any, you know, making a call, a uh, diaphragm call that was not using latex tape or yeah, we did play with it. It's super hard. Like, like there's just not a lot of availability out there in the material, and they don't have the they don't have the the stretch and the poppiness to it. Um, mm. There's a couple options out there, but it's man, there's just not a lot of resource that works super well. Gotcha, cool. But definitely playing with it, and looking at it, and you know, it's. It's kind of interesting because mouth reads are always, I mean, like the tape on them is gaff tape and it's usually natural rubber and, and then the frames are aluminum. We've, we've got, you know, I think we've been running long enough now they're, they're everybody's safe with them. But at the same time, it's materials. We just kind of play with it and figure out what works and what doesn't. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. The first diaphragm my dad ever talked to me about and, and told me that he remembered seeing was when he was a kid. This had to be like in the 50s and it was it was an uncle that was running a, a mouth read in the corner and that had no clue how he was doing. It. And it was ended up being a lead top to a toothpaste tube that he had cut out into a horseshoe clamp <laughs> with duct tape and a condom sandwiched in between it all. You know, and that was a, that was the first turkey read he'd he ever told saw. me that story actually. Yeah. <laughs> he t I think he, t I think he told it to me on my podcast. Yeah. I remember <laughs> hearing that. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, everything, everything's an extension of an idea to some degree. And yep. the, before the mouth diaphragm, it, it was guys were running, you know, condoms over the top of like a uh, pill bottle as, yep. as like just basically a tube call for turkey. So I'm sure the first diaphragm was just an extension of that. Yep. No, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's just that's seems hilarious. to be the way it, it works. But yeah. Funny. I mean, that, that also kind of shapes like how fanatical we can be as hunters. Yeah, for sure. Like you've ever thought like anti-hunting really has a hard time understanding us and we have a hard time understanding them. But like, man, we're, we're running mouth reads made out of condom, which we're still using today in different like turkey calls and stuff. And, 
you know, we roll around in, in Fox P and cover sense. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the anti-hunters don't understand this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, geez. Anyway, let's switch gears again. Um, so walk me through. All right. You get your, you got to the trailhead or you hiked into where you want to be. Walk me through your, how you're going to start, you know, just, Let's let's build a scenario, okay? Okay. How are you going to start? You got a response. What the response was? How you went? How you get into? You know? How you going to approach that response? Um, first, first thing. I mean, I I still go back to the basics, man. Like, I I am keenly aware of after walking in for an hour or two of what the wind's doing. Mm-hmm. I'm very conscious of that, so I always try to at least have a game plan and it kind of varies on, I know you've run into this too. Like we all look at Google earth or Onyx, and you kind of get a lay of the land, but a lot of times you get in there and the wind is just moving differently. Mm-hmm. Like it's not doing what it's supposed to do. So I, I, I still, before I go into an area, if I haven't scouted it, it, I really try to pay attention to the high points. Like I'll, I'll work a ridge line up that may be not in the direction I want to go, but it's just because where the wind is strong. Like, I, like I never break some of those rules or I, I do my damnedest to not to, I mean, there, like I said, there's always scenarios that break them, but I try to be super aware of, of you know, is this ridge line going to drop off and is my wind going to shift there? Is, you know, time, time of day is always make, makes a big change on the wind. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll try to get in there. I like, once I get in there, I try to be, if I can have some elevation on them, I tend to have better luck. Like if, if they've got to work up the hill to me at a 45 or even straight up to me at times um, that, you know, don't, don't go too crazy with that because I mean, they will hang up in terrain too, but I, I, I do better pulling elk up to me a little bit and my visual, like looking downhill and shooting is way better than looking up. Like, like even if you sit on the side of the mountain and stare through the trees, it's, you know, I, I seem like my visual is so much better being in a position of that. So I, it's, I, I try to pull them up and I usually, uh, you know, a lot of that usually ends up just that way because of the wind. But I try to get within that, that you know, 200-yard mark, 150 yards. Like, so we all wear $1,000 pair of binoculars around our neck. I use them a lot. Man, I'll, I'll slip 25 yards in glass, 25 yards in glass, because a lot of times those elk will slip to you without saying a damn word, mm-hmm. and the party's over before you even know it. Um, so I try to be very cautious with that. But then I, I get in it, and I'll, I'll work into those calf calls. Well, and, and before I do that, I do have like one frustration in the industry and I don't have many, but <laughs> I'm not saying get behind a tree to where you can't shoot, but at least try to get in the shadows to where the sun's not beating down on you and highlighting arrows and fletching and shiny shit. Mm-hmm. Like at least get next to a tree or in front of a tree and be in some shade and some canopy, something to help break up your outline. And I see so, and, and I and I know what I know exactly what happens. You're you're out there, elk are bugling, you're moving around, and stuff just happens, right? And, and, but half the time, a guy is stuck out in the middle of nowhere where he's super visual and he can be seen, and that silhouette can be seen. So, at least try to set up that you're covered up to some degree, where you just don't stick out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah, I, I don't. It, where's your thought on that process? Like, like I hear, so I hear a lot of mixed reviews on this and it's one of those deals. I mean, I was always raised like, Hey man, you, you are hunting. Like, like try to, 
try to be I'm, I'm closer. I'm, I think I'm with you more so because I've heard and I've had guys on talk about, you know, just, I just had actually just had this a conversation with my cousin the other day. He's like, I'm like, why don't you ever practice from your knees? And he's like, I'm not even going to get down on my knees or my, my butt ever again. He's like, I'm, I'm just going to be standing when I shoot. Okay. And so what if yeah. you're in black timber and you yeah, I'm like, how are you, how, you know, what if you're in this, the canopies, like you got to shoot under shit. Like, I mean, yeah. you can't, you know, and I, I'm, I'm the guy that likes, see, I, I did a lot of, a lot of my, uh, learning curve for calling animals in general came from predator hunting. Sure. Especially coyotes. So I'm always kind of looking for that, you know, natural ground blind, so to speak, you know, whatever, whatever that is, a bush, a tree, a rock, whatever. I'm kind of always looking for that to make my setup. I mean, yeah, every once in a blue moon, you get you caught with your pants on, you know, down. Like it happened yeah. to me. Matter of fact, it happened to me in Colorado last year. I, 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 I was with Jermaine Hodge. I don't know if you know who he is. Yep, I, and, I know who he is. I haven't had a chance to meet him yet. Great guy, love that guy. Anyway, I'm like, dude, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a bull over there. And he made a couple of cows sounds and and nothing, no answer, no grunt, no movement no sticks you know we listened pretty hard so i moved forward and as i was moving forward my noise of walking made this bull come running right up where exactly where i knew he was i thought he was right there and he, and he came running up and i was just like there was like a sapling next to me you know there was no <laughs> yeah. no real cover thank god it was foggy otherwise if it wasn't foggy he would have just he would have picked me out like a hundred percent and bolted but because it was foggy i ended up having some opportunity at him and that's a whole nother story for another day but my range finder didn't work and i ended up missing him but um yeah so long story short is i'm always looking for a place that i can get a concealed draw that i can get set up where there's not going to be a lot of um you know, ch- a lot of chance for him to pick me off without him seeing me move, you know? And, um, yeah, so I'm with you. But I think a lot of it came out because there's a lot of guys talking about not setting up behind stuff because that's a big rookie move, and I see that a lot with when I'm guiding. You're like, I hey, go up there and get ready, and then the guy sets up behind the tree, and he doesn't get a shot. Yeah. Um because the tree's in the way. So it's got to be, you got to find that like happy medium of what is going to give you good shooting lanes, but still conceal you. And well, and I even go, go as far as like before I even go through a calling sequence, even to see where they are, like I'll look behind me and around me and say, all right, if something answers back, I'm diving there. Mm-hmm. I'm setting up there yep. because I mean, I, like how often do you do that, man? Like you hit something and there's something like literally on top of you and you just weren't aware of it. Um, so I try to be very conscious about Rob Keck. <clears throat> Have you had a chance to meet Rob? No. no. So he, Rob's like old school dad's age, like 
seventies, eighties. He does the, I think he does most of the MC stuff and hosting for uh, the Salt Lake show now. Oh, cool. He's always the, the MC guy, but he is a, he did, he was Turkey Federation for a long, long time. Did Turkey call TV show forever. Like that dude is an assassin. <laughs> Rob nice. was, was a fanatic about, you know, Hey man, when you set up, make sure, make sure you, like you have a tree picked out or even go ahead and get next to the tree and be set up to some degree before you even call. And, and I, that's always kind of stuck with me over the years. Yeah. Somebody else had taught me that years ago and maybe kind of some of it came about by just trial and error. I almost never call. I never stop the call unless I'm kind of like against a tree. Ready. Yeah. Not necessarily ready, but against a tree or somewhat where I'm like, you know, if I got to quickly get ready, um, you know, like I'm not going to call with my bow strapped to my pack, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do stuff like that. So uh, actually, I think the realization came about once when I, that's exactly when it happened. I remember the day now I was whitetail hunting in a tree stand in New York of all places. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, ah, I pulled out my sandwich, whatever it was, peanut butter jelly sandwich, and I was eating it. And I reached over and I grabbed my little little can bleat and I hit that thing twice. And a couple of seconds later, I kind of heard something and I like looked over and there's a buck staring right up at me. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and I'm like sandwich in one hand, <laughs> the bows on the freaking hook. You know, like there's, I, I, there was no, like I didn't have a chance in hell to to make that, and yeah. I was like, well, shit, I am never ever gonna call again without being ready. And uh, another thing that I've cautioned people before too is like, you drive up with your truck to a trailhead or whatever the case may be, where you're gonna park and and take off from and you're talking loud or you're slamming doors and whatever and i'm like there could be elk right here there could be deer right <laughs> yeah, here yeah. and i can't tell you how many times where we pulled up and if i got out quietly and whatever and then oh shit there's there they are right there you know 100 yards yep. from the truck no i've done it more often than not man like and i always feel like a complete retard because i feel like i should know better yeah um but I do it all, you know, especially turkey hunting or anything of that nature. I, I don't, one thing I don't, and I call it rookie mistakes. Like I, most of us have been hunting long enough. We've done it a few times to where like, you know, better, mm -hmm. but it's, I mean, I, I think that is a, a good note for sure. Yeah. Two years ago, um, two years ago, turkey hunting, I pulled the truck up. I pulled my son out of the truck. I didn't even, I, sh I didn't even have my freaking shotgun out yet. But I put my backpack on, and I didn't, my shotgun was still laying on the back seat. And I I yelped right from the truck. Hadn't even closed the door yet. And boom, lights up this freaking turkey. And he is like 100 yards away. And I'm like, yep. oh, shit. Okay, grab that. Close the door. I was like, we got to get away from my white-ass truck, you know. <laughs> And we got to get to another spot. And so I, you know, quickly made it down this trail and, and sat by a bush, made another call. And here he came, boom. And I shot him literally for opening morning. It was like a one minute hunt. It was the first, it was the first place that I stopped to call. Yeah. It was like, yep. you know. And, 
and I try to keep in mind for, for guys too, like elk hunting, you know, it's, I think like your bow on your pack, not calling, like you're, you're moving from one, one, one place to another, you know, cause it's, cause I, I know for me, you know, and I know for everybody, elk, elk are generally traveling from water source to water source. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's that in between spot where you get lazy, you know, and I don't, I try not to take that stuff for granted because, you know, quite often I'll screw that up at least once or twice a year. Yep. It's easy to do. But, but anyways, um, as far as setting up and stuff, that, that's kind of it. You know, I, I'm very conscious of the wind patterns and expecting some change there. And, and I'm not lazy about it, man. If I got to go down the mountain and over the top or whatever it takes physically, like I, I'll, I'll make that decision. I will, I will go in the hard direction if I have to, because I think it makes a big difference. You know, it's, a lot of guys are like, well, I think I'll be okay with the wind, or I, I, I don't. Man, you're either upwind or you're downwind. <laughs> like, and right. if it's hard, just bite the bullet, man, and go. Um, so I'm, I'm very conscious of that. I don't like, especially archery hunting. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I would much rather hunt black timber mm-hmm. than big, huge open areas, too. Like, I don't. Big, huge, open, quake areas drive me bonkers because you can see 500 yards in them, and that drives me nuts. Because I, I think elk visually want to lock onto something, so I, I prefer if I can hunt elk. Like a lot of times, like we used to hunt Silverton a bunch mm-hmm. down towards Durango, and the way we would hunt that back in the day is we would glass from the road up these huge avalanche chutes that take you two to three hours to climb. We we glass elk at the top, wait till they went into the timber, and then we then we'd climb and go hunt them in the timber. Okay, but we I mean you can't hunt them out in that open that open they they're just super uncomfortable and as soon as you start calling to them and trying to work them i, I think i think you're really screwing yourself so i, I try to i like hunting deep black timber because i think you can maneuver around better um i think you can create a lot more shots it's a lot more quiet generally and and it's so much tighter i think you can get one a lot closer to you than you can see out in the aspens now there's a lot of aspens in colorado don't, don't get me wrong but that's mm-hmm. if i have my preference i'd rather hunt that black timber Right, and so I, I'm very conscious about that too. Um, I I, pre, I prefer to stay away from those big, huge aspen, open aspen basins. I don't you may like, not have a choice. I don't like you know, but, open, like open in the sense like prairie open stuff. Like I can't stand hunting that kind of uh, that kind of terrain, like big open meadows and yeah. Um, you know, unless you're rifle hunting, that's a different story. Sure, but bow hunting, no. Um, I think having got you know having gained most of my experience hunting elk initially was in Arizona uh and here even in the ponderosas you can see a ways like, yeah you know you can see two three hundred yards pretty easily yep uh, sometimes even more so I got used to that going from tree to tree and kind of being, you know, um, the big thing about those, those type of, um, scenarios is not being hyper-focused on just the bull because it's not, yeah, you can watch him and watch where his head's going and you can move and it, and then it's the five cows that I got you pegged. Yep. That, typically screw up the situation <laughs> you know right, right, so always. um yeah that that to me is is a um uh, is a key thing to to pay attention if you have those situations where it is open 
don't just get focused on the one that you want. You got to yep. really pay attention to everything. I mean, think about it as a deer hunt. Like you would do that in a deer hunt. You would make sure you got tabs on everything that's could see you, you know? Yep. Um, and just just work it that way. Then no different, you know. What just because you introducing introducing a call to the situation doesn't, you know, make you invisible. Um, no, not at all. If anything, I think they pinpoint you. Well, yeah, they know now. They you know they know which way to look but, for sure. And, and and that's been my issue with like the big open spaces. Like if they can hear something at five hundred yards, I mean, I, you know, I they visually want to reference something. Mm-hmm. Yep. to it and if they can't and they, they've been jacked with even just a little bit i i think that makes it way harder versus if, if you have the terrain and timber and, and i mean it man i'll sometimes i'll see elk in the morning and i won't be hunting them till the afternoon just because of terrain mm-hmm. like i just i want i want the best chance that i can get and a lot of times that you know that's just i need cover and you know those aspens are noisy you can see forever. Like I'm just like, if, if I can pick my battle there, I, I, I definitely try to, but once I'm in that, you know, all that being said, once I'm within that say, 200 yard bubble, like I said, I lay into the calf calls. Um, I, you know, I'll start light. I'll let that situation dictate itself. And if there's a lot of energy and cows are going crazy and bulls are bugling, you know, you're, it's a lot easier to join the party, but if it's, if they're a little bit passive and, you know, I'll start light, you know, I'll just start with some basic, You know, I, I won't push super hard. I'll just go light and penny and calf sounds and, and let that build up. I'll go to bugle and, and some harder stuff, depending on the situation. Like if, if I'm in it and I know there's elk there and there's nothing going on and, and I've been doing it for 45 minutes an hour and I, I can't get things to move or fire up, you know, then I'll, I'll start making, mixing in some bugling or, you know, I, I, I tried. And, th- and this is the thing you can't teach. I don't think like, I think you just have to be in it enough to understand that, you know, just that natural, that natural feel of the situation to, to know how hard to go mm-hmm. in trying to get things accomplished. And there's, I'm, and I'm, I'm a big advocate, man. There's just nothing you can, you can do other than just have boots on the ground and, and try to use some common sense. I think we're super impatient generally as hunters. I think we're, I am we, terrible. Right. Terribly impatient. That's actually one of the things I like about elk hunting because it's one of the few things that you can hunt and be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. Agreed. And then still find success like deer hunting that their aggressiveness does not usually translate into success. Yeah. Um, you know, some occasions like, I guess maybe that's probably why I've had most of my success during the rut is because I can get away with being aggressive. Yep. Yeah. Being, being and, patient is key. <laughs> well, and I think guys even coming out West in general, you know, um, there's always big conversation on this for me as far as ask a lot of questions, ask why, but, but really look at yourself in the mirror and, and what are your expectations for that hunt? Mm-hmm. What kind of experience are you wanting to have? Are you just trying to put a bull on the ground? Are you wanting, you know, something more on the trophy side of things. Are you going with an outfitter? I mean, there's so many things there that I think guys have got to be realistic. I think outfitters get beat up in a bad rap on some issues, you know, as far as, you know, they've got 6,000 acres on a lease, you know, you chances are, man, you're going to be going low and slow, maybe stand hunting some versus for, you know, it's just going to be a very different experience because that outfitter has got to, got to run that 
that piece of land for the entire season and right. keep elk on it. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of guys visualize Western elk hunting as, you know, this big, huge, epic thing, and it is and it can be, but at the same time, you know, know what your expectations are because it, it, however we hunt, man, it, it, it can bring vastly different experiences. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I let you go, if you had any like last minute advice we can give these guys getting ready to leave guys, I say guys, but I mean, guys and girls getting ready to leave out on their, uh, you, you, I got to spell this out now, you know, because I don't want to, <laughs> I, I, I was going to call you out on your retard, uh, comment. Even though I use that word all. Do you drink Bud Light? Yeah, no. <laughs> But uh, no. So if you had anything, if you had anything, uh, you know, last minute advice that would that you could share with us, that would be great. That's most of it. Use the resources that are out there. Like, th- like there's so much knowledge. I get really frustrated with. I, I don't want to say dumb questions by any means because they're not. Like, you, you know, you only know what you know in, mm-hmm. in any category. But there's so much information out there, man. Dig in and, uh, you know, Elk One One's got some. Good information. Elk Brothers are doing a good job. Elk Call Academy is doing it. I mean, there's there's a lot of information out there that, that you can make sure you're way more prepared than what you used to be 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you, you utilize what's out there. I mean, that's asking. Be very good at, like, knowing what you can and can't do and asking the question why and, and, and just utilize what's available to us. There's all the stuff that I'm saying. I mean, you do a, you do a fair ton of this, John. I mean, it's I don't think any, any of it's that new. No, it's not. Um, you know, you know, and I've been, I've been listening to, uh, you know. Okay, sorry, we had some uh, technical difficulties there again, but that was my <laughs> that was my doing. Um, yeah, I I ran out of batteries. That's because I'm. You think after fifteen years or whatever, I know how to, how to run this thing. No, man, we're good. Uh, so, yeah, I was saying basically, you know, even myself, like I've been doing this for so long. I listen to guys and, and the, the the reason why I still do it is the hope that somebody's going to take even information that I already know and put it in a context that's like more digestible or, you know, oh, like give me like an aha moment. And then or, or you know, like you said, getting that extra, that little nugget that you you didn't know about like that one little, that one little piece you could listen to somebody for two hours and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That one little, that little, one little thing that you said, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. That's, yep. that's huge. So. No, it's been all that, you know, and I've got, I've got a good friend mentor that's, you know, Floyd Sanders. So he used to be a head cowboy at Vermejo ranch for forever. Um, for the longest time, but Floyd's true passion on top of all of it was guiding. So, you know, I talked to Floyd last year and he's like, man, he says, I got to add it. He says, I kind of kept track over the years. He says, I put, I, I've been a part of 500 elk on the ground. And I'm thinking, wow, 500 elk, man, there's, there's a lot of little nuggets there, you know, and it's, I, I, I need to get Floyd on the podcast too someday just to pick his brain. He's just, he's just good at, he's very good at asking why, very analytical about why things happen. Um, but, but those are the, those are where you find your nuggets, you know, and, but we've got so much of that resource now, man. Like, like, you know, I, I've, I'm 48 this year. I'll be 49 in December. Like I called in my first bull at 14. So you take that 
amount of years, and now you stack it on top of, say, Corey Jacobson and stack it on top of, of Floyd. And there's just, man, mm-hmm. there's just stuff out there to listen to and pick up. And, and I think that's a huge value. You know, even like I had an outfitter that used to run around with a, a small pair, like, like a super small pair of uh, moose antlers. They were just drops. Mm-hmm. And he literally rattled elk. That, w- that was one of his backup pieces of calling an elk for him. And, and, and it just worked for him. You know, I mean, nobody ever talks about very much anyways about that type of potential. Right. Yeah. I, I picked something similar up years ago, 15 plus maybe years ago. I carry, I cut the top fork off of a six by that I had uh shed antler that I had found and uh I you know I wrapped tape around and I used that to rake trees with everybody's like oh why don't you why do you why do you bother carrying that around just pick up a stick and I'm like it just sounds different it just works different you know like and the guys that I saw would carry these big antlers around like that was a little too much you know too much to carry too much to hold but like they had better success with rubbing on a tree and having the guys come in with that. So, you know, there's, yeah, it's always these little nuanced things that. It is. But I, I really like, and I, and I do, man, I, I try to listen to everybody still, but the, uh, man, I, I really, I've enjoyed the, the old school outfitters that have done it all their life too. Cause there's, there's always just some good stuff there that you didn't think about. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, I'd love to have this guy Floyd on. And actually too, I'd like to, Maybe talk to uh, and I forgot I forgot his name already. You, you had mentioned it was a turkey guy. That's uh, oh, about your dad's age, dude. Yeah, I want to get Keck and Floyd both. Uh, Floyd definitely on the elk side because he's he's easily one of the best guys I think I've ever been around. And even back in the day, you know, the fighting cow call was huge for Wayne Carlton's calls. As oh yeah, I remember that. Years. I had it. They they're screwing it up now, like putting the wrong read in it. But the uh, Floyd was the one. Like, like that had gone back, and we used to teach a, a turkey hunting school at Bermejo for 20 years, mm-hmm. and that's how we met Floyd. But Floyd, uh, he just screwed around with that thing enough, and he spent a fall doing it, and then he came out and was like, hey, man, listen to what I'm doing with And he'd whine and duck and dive and dance with that thing, and it just went ballistic. But, but that's how we found it. That's how we found the, that, that whole thing that, that grew from that. It was, it was Floyd's nugget, you know, yep. so it's got to have those guys but keck too man like very articulate fantastic speaker but very very knowledgeable and passionate even today about what he does like he, he's easily one of the best i think i've like and and we've had because when we did like the turkey hunting school we'd always have like the best guys in the industry that would come out and help guests teach mm-hmm. you know rob was always out there a couple times but man i mean there's just so much knowledge there with that guy Definitely have Rob on, man. He's he's exceptional at what he does. Yeah, a definitely. I, I I've never I haven't had a whole bunch of really good turkey guys on. I've you know I've had a few, um, you know, and I've had a few really good callers on and stuff like that. But it never like actual about talking about how to hunt turkey and and yep. like the little nuanced things. So I would love yeah, to no, I love to have him on, especially since I'm getting more into turkey hunting myself. That's a selfish thing for me. Like I, I know I'm <laughs> going to sit there and learn something, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, yep, constantly. But. So awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And, um, if you want to tell our listeners, uh, how to find you and find, uh, 
you know, Native by Carlton and so yeah, just uh, Native by Carlton. Like I said, we have an online website. I, I'm I'm the worst self promoter and worst marketer in the business. I'm pretty sure. But uh, we do have a good, strong website up and running. That's just nativebycarlton.com. And then, John, let's put together like a, a like a 20% off code. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I'll, I'll let you come up with however you want to do it. Just John Stallone, all one word. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's do John Stallone 20, and uh, we'll get that up and running today. We'll, we'll, and we'll run it out through the end of the season for the guys that are listening. Awesome. Appreciate that. So. All right. All right, man. Good. Well, thanks for coming I on, man. I really appreciate it, John. Yeah, thanks for always thinking of me when you're, you know, when you're developing stuff. I love, I love tinkering with stuff. And yeah, send yeah. me that bugle tube. I'd love to check it out. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I, I knew it was going to be solid, but between the mouthpiece and changing the resin in the tube, make it a lot denser, really, really altered the sound. And like it's, I, I'm surprised it's done as well as it has. It's, it's been a, it's been a winner. Sweet. All right, buddy. Well, good luck to you, and uh, I will talk to you after uh probably after elk season see how things go cool sounds good i appreciate it john all right thanks